Hello and welcome to FuturePod. I'm Peter Hayward. FuturePod gathers voices from the international field of futures and foresight through a series of interviews, the founders of the field and the emerging leaders share their stories, tools and experiences. Please visit futurepod.org for further information about this podcast series. Today, our guest is Fabienne Gaudimont. Fabienne earned a master's in political science and a PhD in human and social foresight in Rome, Italy. She has been the founding head of the consulting firm Projective in France since 1994. She is also an associate professor in foresight and innovation at the University of Angers. She serves on the foresight section of the Regional Economic, Social and Environmental Council for the Ile-de-France. She was a former president of the World Future Studies Federation. And she's a member of and a past chair of the French Society for Foresight. Welcome to FuturePod, Fabienne. Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you. And, and I do appreciate you finding time in your very busy schedule to, to talk to me and the FuturePod listeners. Sure. Question one, Fab, that all guests have, which is to, is to tell their story of how you became such an important member of the Futures and Foresight community. Well, initially, I didn't want to, to work on the future because I thought that just, uh, you know, reading science fiction or, or being interested in the future could only be a hobby. Yeah. And so I wanted to, to be an archaeologist. My family decided that it was not a good position for a woman at that time and that they didn't want me to go through the world alone among so many men and so on. So, <laughs> so <laughs> finally, they wanted me to be a lawyer initially, and so I resisted a bit. Yeah. And finally, I was succeeded to find, you know, kind of a compromise, and I studied uh, political sciences. Yeah. Of course, during this time, I think I, I do not cope easily with only one way of thinking. And so I did it as an academic field, as something I had to do, but I had still it is like school, doing my job and, and studying and passing on my exams and that's it. But at the end of it, uh, the only thing I was sure about was that I didn't want to be a political scientist. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was a bit complicated. I was the first in my family to to go to a graduate school while my parents didn't influence me a lot at that point it, it was not enough to have just a, a degree in political science so i continue um, to a master in uh, geopolitics and strategy and then strategy began to be a little bit more interesting for me yeah. but then you know when when you you arrive you are 22 and you begin to work, you want to work, and then people are looking at you and say, okay, you have done a master in strategy, military strategy, and you are a woman? Come on. <laughs> and, well, I don't know if it is the same thing in other countries. It was the same thing in other countries at the same time. But, you know, in, in the early 80s, it was not something very welcome. So it was kind of complicated for me to find, to find a work a job at, at the very beginning. Seeing my hesitation, I would say, uh, my father decided that the best for me would be to work, real work. So uh, he sent me to a friend of him 
working for insurance. Can you believe it? Wow. Yeah. Specifically selling and, and dealing with a special kind of insurance about low troubles when you have to insure something and you have a trouble, kind, any kind of trouble, you are sued, for example. And so the insurance will help you. And this was my job. <laughs> so <laughs> you can imagine that after, <laughs> after a year <laughs> during which I got married, my very dear husband thought, okay, obviously you are not very happy with this job. So if you want to, to continue to study, okay, you're welcome, just do it. So it was very, very, very great opportunity for me. And uh, I went back to study. But at that point, going back to political sciences, I found people so, hmm, how to say, out of the world, which means that in, in, in this you know, political science in France, it is political science institute in France. It's kind of the famous French radical, mm -hmm. which is a world out of the world. Yeah. It, it's very great, you know, to learn, to discuss, to debate about ideas, about everything. But, you know, after a year working really on the field <laughs> with real people, real troubles, uh, it was a bit too much for me. <laughs> so I went to the conservatoire, I would say it in French because I think there is no translation in English, which is the Conservatoire National des Arts et Métiers, which is a very, very old graduate school dedicated only to professionals. It was created during the French Revolution in 1794, if I remember well. And teachers are professional. Yeah. And you have to be a professional to go there and teach. And so it was really good for me because I heard about people talking about the real life and real troubles and what they need and everything. So it was really interesting. And there I did a, another master. And that, this time it was in uh, science, technology and economics. Yep. So it was really interesting. And this time I feel really comfortable for the first time in my um, studying life, I would say. Because it was very, very broad, you know, studying absolutely everything, R&D expenditure from uh, macroeconomics to my microeconomics to absolutely everything. And one course was French perspective. Right. And then it was Michel Godet was the, the teacher. And then it was kind of a shock for me. And suddenly it was like, uh, you know, when you have um, a curtain in front of your eyes, <laughs> And suddenly the curtain disappears and you see the world. Yeah. And I say, that's it. This is exactly what I was looking for. Yeah. That's it. I want it. Yeah. And I want to become a futurist. Immediately it was so, so clear to me. Right. And so it, it, it happened that, you know, when you are interested, you are motivated. Yes. And when you are motivated, you work. And when you work, you succeed. It, it's a very simple equation. Yeah. And so I got the first marks in this uh, class. And so Michel Gonet noticed me and he asked me to, to stay to work with him as a research assistant. And this is how I began to, to work. Really, I mean, not just working like it was in the insurance, but really working like you are dedicated to what you are doing. So it's kind of like a term I would use to describe that, Fabien, is you were kind of a, apprenticed to a master. Yep. <laughs> I can say so. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to, yeah, exactly that. I, I wanted, yeah, you are coming to a point very inter, very important for me. Just before, I would like maybe to, 
explain why um, foresight was such a great thing for me. I think there are three, three main reasons. The, the first one is that this way of looking at the world in a very systemic uh, way was just the right thing to meet my, my very deepest need to be able to study any kind of topics, yep. everything. I, I, it was my trouble. I didn't want to, to, to be specialized in something. I want to have a tool, a mental tool, helping me to, to, to work on any kind of stuff. So it was the first thing. And I think that we do not put emphasis yep. on, on this topic when we teach foresight to, to young people. The second one was that this, this field of knowledge would allow me to, to act on the world. Yep. You see, really doing something for the world at, at globality. And the last one, but not the least, was that it, it was a kind of a discipline that could help you to serve, to really be useful to others. Yep. And these three main reasons became my motivation to, to adapt definitely uh, foresight as a, not only as a job, but as a way of, of life. A lot of people that I've interviewed have said that they found foresight or foresight found them. Yes, exactly. That's right. I, I totally agree with that. The future is, is, you know, something empty that you have to feel. Yes. And, and for me, foresight was my own way to feel my future. Yes. And, and, and this was uh, the most important thing for me at the time. Uh, so I decided very uh, authority that I would from then on I mean after my graduation that I would divide my life in in three main uh, successive blocks the first block is that I wanted to learn with the best futurists in France uh, because at that time uh, I was married so well I had some uh, involvement i would say some commitment even in uh, in, in france <laughs> and so during the the, the following uh, decade of my life i worked with michel godet which was my my teacher uh, thierry godin which is a very well-known french futurist he is now uh, uh, both in the executive board of the wfss yep. and uh, and hugues de jovenel uh, with um, the manager of uh, Futurim, which is also very well known. So one decade to learn with futurists in a very practical way. But I wanted then to, to dedicate my second decade of life. When I say decade, it's of course extensive, uh, but second block of my life to, con to contribute to the field. And this contribution I would say that uh, it, it was what I could bring myself as, uh, to the field as, as in terms of methods, concepts, uh, community animation, um, all this. And this is what I did, in fact, because, well, in terms of methods, I, I developed two quite successful methods in France. Uh, one is, is an audit of uh, local caring stakeholders, and the other one is so-called meta-method. I think I will, I will tell a little bit more about this. Um, my second contribution was the community animation with the uh, Warfare Studies Federation and then with the uh, French Society for Foresight. 
futures research as well. Um, and especially my two main fields of research, which are the grad transition and uh, the, dev the development model X.0. And finally, uh, well, all my life as a consultant, um, I, I practice operational foresight, which yep. is uh, which is how you 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 use foresight uh, for for solving the needs of your clients as well in in the public sector as well in the private sector. This was the second block of my life, and finally the the last one was about um, transmission. Once you you accumulate knowledge. And, and this knowledge is not only a, a formal knowledge, it's also a way of thinking, it's also um, experience, background. Well, you, I think it, it's kind of selfish to, to keep it for yourself. You have to <laughs> share it. <laughs> and, and so sharing means um, teaching, writing, popularizing with, uh, well, interview or radio, TV, um, well, any kind of, of way and now you have so many new ways with internet and, and social networks i mean we have to promote our field if you, if you want it to to continue to exist and if you want to have a, a the next generation enga engaging itself in this field and nourishing it feeling it and finally developing it better than we did ourselves because foresight is a is an evolving uh, body of knowledge. Thanks, Fabien. That's good. Question two. I encourage the guest to speak to a, a method or a framework or a tool that is both important to them in their practice, but also is something that they can educate the listeners about how they may want to read more about it or use it themselves? Well, maybe this is uh, my, my last work in terms of methods was about trying to find a, a meta method. Yep. Uh, what does it mean? I mean, let me tell the story uh, from the beginning to better understand it. Uh, my main clients, my my longer lasting client, I would say, is uh, the Royal Institute of um, of uh, Strategy in Morocco, which is uh, an institute created by the king because the king Mohammed VI wanted to to get an institute able to to tell something smart, I would say, about the future and and about. What the, the, what Morocco Morocco could become in the future? Yeah, and and so we created this institute called IRES. When IRES began, they wanted to know, okay, what is this tool called foresight? What is this? And and so we we develop a kind of a, a center of resources for uh, foresight in order to explain people as well what is foresight. So if you go on on their website. You, you will find, uh, it is in English, but yes, I think there is an English version as well. And you will find a, a resource center for foresight with big names in foresight, with references, a bibliography, and um, articles, and, and everything about that. Most of the thing about it. 
And doing so, we began to think about, okay, what can we say about method? And we began to investigate how many methods in the world about uh, foresight. We stopped the study after 395 <laughs> methods. <laughs> Saying, okay, <laughs> it's a lot. We, we, we won't go further. And now ju just let's try to, to put a little bit uh, some order, I would say. So to make category and try to understand. So, so we built categories <clears throat> and still we had some five, six categories and still it was not so easy to make a distinction because most, most of the methods are complex and they use part of different categories. It's not a way. We have to, to try to find something even uh, more simple and something that would be common to finally all the methods. Yep. And so I, I began to, to consult with uh, my former colleagues, Jim Dieter and um, Eleonora Babé Massini, as well at that time, Wendell Bell. Well, different colleagues. And I say, okay, here is my, my problem. And okay, this is the way I think I could, I could uh, solve it, which is to make categories, but all the categories, they cannot fit together. So, okay, doing something different. And finally, um, I, I, came, I came up with the idea of a meta-method, yep. which is, which is meta-methodology, something bigger than, than the other, but the core indeed of it. It's kind of overarching method, yep. to put it that way. And this method, is, is very, very simple, very simple. It, it's only three steps. The first one is understanding. The second one is exploring. And the third one is proposing. To, to go in detail a little bit further, I would say that understanding has three main characteristics. The first one is that this understanding must be macrohistorical which means that you have to go very deep in the past in order to understand the current that are underlying the issue you are working on. The second one is systemic in terms of system thinking. You know that all the futurists are working with, with system thinking. This is the base of our, uh, the basics of, of our knowledge and, and the way to, to, to think. Yep. And so this, this systemic thinking, thinking is absolutely a part of this way of understanding the topic you are, you are studying. And the third one is um, dynamic. I mean, this is the understanding that things are not fixed. You know that in, in, in the Western world, uh, during the 18th centuries, we began to to understand that the world was a bit different than we consider it before. But still, we, it's very deep in our uh, mental, our mindset, I would say, that the world is fixed. It is the way it is. And structurally, it will last for all the time this way. But now with, with Einstein, with, with people working on, on quantum and so on, during all the 19th century and 20th century, of course, we began to understand that the world is evolving itself. I mean, paradigms are not eternal. We make them and they become obsolete and you make a new paradigm and, and this is a, a rolling stone. 
at that point, it was very important for me to help both my students and my clients to understand that the world is evolving. And evolving is not, is not only about the different facts you are, you are seeing around you. I mean, the surface of things, but it is about the structure of everything. Yeah. The structure is itself is evolving. Uh, a topic, for example, that I use very often to explain it is family. For most people, when you, when you tell them about family and you ask, okay, what is family? It's so simple, such a question. And they say, well, family is a man and woman and children. <laughs> okay, it's family. Almost all the answers in all the cultures are this. They can add grandparents and so on, but grandparents are part of the parents. It's, it's always a story of a couple and, and children. But there are so many uh, underlying assumptions uh, into, into this affirmation. For example, that a family is about a man and a woman. And then the children are children by blood. But in fact, if you look at very far in the past, you can see, for example, in the Roman Empire, that the family was, was not always considered this way. For example, you, you could adopt a child and this child could become your legitimate son, for example, and, and your own children by blood would become just nothing, mm. you see? So just this link between a couple and children is something that has evolved a lot. And if you look at the Greek uh, family, well, still the family was more formal or formally established around a man and a woman, but most of the Greek were bisexual. Mm. So what does it mean in this case? When you begin to, to go very far in the past, then you can see that every structure that you so you are absolutely certain that they are fixed are just evolving. They are moving. Yeah. And already when you succeed to pass this message to people, well, you can see they can challenge their very foundation of their own assumptions. You're right. So this is something very important in, in, the, in this first part of the method, which is understanding. You see that this understanding is a very deep understanding of the topic you are studying and all the structures underlying this topic. In this sense, I think it, it's very close to um, uh, the CLA from our colleague, Soha uh, Inayatullah. Yes. Then the second part of the, of the meta method is about exploring. We have so many ways to explore the future. You have anticipation, which is, okay, you study, you study the trends with kind of horizon scanning. Okay, you see the trends, you, you look for the disruptions, the breakthrough, everything that could really disrupt the trends. And so you, you come up with some different visions of the future. Usually you, you, you come up with, um, the first one is what we call tendential uh, scenario, yep. which is, okay, if everything is going on in the same way, okay, what's happening? And then we, you will begin to build really different scenario. I, I never use scenario in a kind of, you know, binary uh, thing, uh, a black scenario, a very bad one, a very good scenario, and then the tendential. What I use is not scenarios, but really images of the future. And what I want is that my clients or, or, or students 
I want them to become aware of different visions of the future, to understand that because the world is evolving, which was the conclusion of the understanding part, then the future is evolving itself, which means that what today you consider as being the most uh, likely future to happen tomorrow, when you will think about it again in um, one decade, then this image will change. Yep. And because of this, once you understand that this is you who are populating, if I can say so, populating the future, filling it with your analysis, as good as, as your analysis can be, still, this is an analysis of a human being, of a group of human beings, and at a, at a certain time. And because it is an analysis, it means that you have filters. Yep. You have cultural filters. You have the, the filters of the time you are living in. And so each of our analyses is different in a way or another, even if the core usually is the same. But we are all currently living in the same period of time. In the next period of time, maybe all the next or the coming futurists will think something different again. So it's kind of difficult for us to accept the idea that the future is such a moving field mm. because it impacts directly the role of the futurist itself. But, and maybe this is where the French perspective is, is different from other currents, is that Gaston Berger, which is uh, the fundator of the French uh, fourth time, used to say that the future is by definition unknowable. Nobody can know the future. It's just impossible because you have too many variables, because you, you do not know everything, and, and so on. So the only thing you can do is try to, to have an educated guess <laughs> about <laughs> what the main troubles of the future will be, or could be, in order to anticipate them. Anticipating meaning, meaning here to, to act today in order to prevent these things to happen. Or to, or to help them to happen if they are good. Yeah. You see? So this is the first thing. Anticipation is, is about feeling that the landscape is front of us, is still to build, that it is not built by definition. It is still in the building and the progress, I would say. It is a work in progress, definitely. And that every people on earth is helping to, to, build, to build this work. Yep. So it, it will never end. We can just grasp a kind of blurred image of the future. And it always depends on which angle you, you take to look on the future. I mean, if you take a, an angle, for example, of economist, you will see on, only an economic development. But by definition, an economic development is linked to a social development. So you have also to take the angle of, of social sciences as well. And, and that's where the understanding and, and the, the exploring of this meta method is interesting, is that it constrains you to, to challenge your, your own foundations of, of, of your paradigm. Yes. It, it's really a way to open up uh, your mind and, and succeed to really develop new images of the future. Mm. Even, even the most 
unacceptable because acceptability is something very different. <laughs> and that's the point. So many people cannot envision different futures just because they, those futures are unacceptable for them. Yeah. And so in exploring the work I'm doing is, is to help people to, to go beyond this barrier of, of acceptability, of non-acceptability, just in order to, to purely uncom, uncom, uh, envision, mm. envision the, the, the multiplicities of what could happen. So the first, the first thing, so one is understanding, the second is exploring, and the last one is um, proposing. The idea is that once you have had this, this different vision, you are in the air, I would say, and then you have to come back to the ground, to earth, and you are facing your boss and says, okay, and now what? <laughs> <laughs> and, and very often it's a difficult um, <laughs> fall down uh, to earth and, and they come back and okay, and now what I'm doing? Then it's really interesting in, in this part proposing first to come back to the very um, basics of the visioning. The visioning is about values. What are your values? What are you ready to trade for the future you want? And then, okay, now what is the future you really want? Mm. It's very different, you know, to, to create an idyllic vision of the future, saying this is the future I want. Sure, okay, fine. And then, but then when you begin to ask people, okay, what are you ready to lose to get, to get this future? Yeah. Ooh, ooh, this is a very difficult part. This is where people begin to think very differently about the future. Yeah. Especially, for example, um, I mean, in Europe, maybe you do not have this kind of problem in Australia right now, but we have this kind of problem, you know, with the migrants. Yeah. And people will say, okay, we are the country of, uh, of democracy, of liberty, freedom, <laughs> so on. So let's open our doors. Yeah. And I, oh gosh, so many people now, let's close our doors. Yeah, that's right. What does, it, what does it mean? That the freedom is not for everybody? What? And, and, and then, okay, this is where the bargain begins. And that's where it starts. I mean, that's, that's where it gets interesting because this is this notion you can have a future which you prefer, but does but what if others don't prefer it? Oh, sure. And, and this is also a question about the, the famous uh, preferred futures. I mean, you know, the future is either possible, plausible, uh, and, and preferred. Yeah. In France, we, we use desirable. Yeah. Uh, because we, well, desire is something interesting. <laughs> so what is the most desirable future for you? Um, but then you understand in this that it, the, the most desirable future for you, you, who are you? Mm. And what are the consequences, you know, the famous collateral damages yes. of your preferred future? How it will impact on others? At that point, we begin to have very interesting conversation. I mean, and, and you can use so many different uh, methods like the strategic conversation. I mean, you know, in, in the French foresight, most of the time the understanding is done by specialists because they are working on data and so on. But then 
you come in front of your stakeholders and say, okay, what are your own images of the situation? What is your own understanding of the situation? And then you get the image of the understanding. And then you bring in the data. And suddenly, they can see the, the discrepancy between the data, I mean, the, the objective image of the situation and their own sensible image of the situation. Yeah. And that's where you can begin you know, to really build a deep understanding of uh, a situation in, in a systemic and dynamic way. If you do not work on the mindset of people, yeah. the same mindset prevents you to look at the reality or to look at objectivity. So you, had, you have necessarily to work on people perception, how themselves they understand, they perceive the world around them, how they, they put names or words on the situation they are living. And then only you can go, you can accompany them to confront their perception to the data. But if you, if you don't allow them to express their perception and to open up their way of looking at the world, okay, you, you can bring as many data as you want. It will not do the job. No, you, you can you can help. I mean, some people will never change. <laughs> I mean, no, of course they are they are closed over themselves, and they have erected barriers around them to protect themselves from the world and from and from change. So those people, no, just don't try. You will lose your time. But other people are ready to to lower the barriers down and accept to, to take new glasses, new mental glasses to look at the world. Yeah. And those people, we can help them, definitely. And we have first to listen to them, to help them express themselves. And then only we are able to, to go in depth and, and help them to enrich or, or go beyond their own limited vision, I would say. So question three, Fabian, is the one where I asked you to talk about what are the futures that you are understanding, the emerging futures, the alternative futures that you see, that you, that, that you are observing, that you are interested in. They may not be futures that you like, but they're futures that are interesting for you. So... Maybe your question is really interesting, Peter, because maybe this is where uh, foresight and the French perspective are maybe a little bit different. In the French perspective, you will never say this will be the future. Sometimes you try to say this could be the future, this might be the future. But what we are working on as French futurists is on solving the issues of the future. So. First of all, we spot the issues. And I will say things that everybody knows, of course, but the main issues of the future are climate change, scarcity of natural resources, artificial intelligence, not as such, but 
the use of it. Okay, I, I would say that basically those are the three main issues we have to face in the um, from now on to to the end of this century. Yep. Beyond this, I mean, once you say this. You have two ways of doing. The first one is that, okay, you, you take climate change. You said, okay, we have to do this and this and that in order to solve the climate change issue. And then you can go to artificial intelligence and say, okay, you have to do this and this and that to solve it. Okay. Well, this is not our way of doing. Our way of doing is to have, is to develop preferred vision of the future, solving all the issues in the same time. And this is where our work as futurists is the most difficult. It is, you know, like um, a job where you have, when you, you try to, to knit a, a pullover, for example, together. Yeah. And when you knit, you have, um, you have wool. And, and sometimes all, all the little threads of, of your wool will come together and make kind of a ball. In, in this kind of ball, the whole thing will not fall apart. It, it come closer together, and the knit is even is even worse. It's kind of so tangled that if you pull on one, you actually finish up making even messier. Yes, exactly. That's it. Exactly, exactly. This is exactly what I want to say. And so, if if you want still to 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 pick up the thread of this yeah. ball, then you have to to take the ball with your two hands and to, to softly try to put all the threads apart in the same time. And for future studies, it is exactly the same. I mean, when, when you are facing all the issues of the future, if you try just to solve one, then you have many others that will develop in the same time and you will never succeed to, to solve things. What we are doing is, is to try to develop vision and way to, to reach the vision within which all the issues are solved in the same time, like all the threads of your ball. And for example, the one I'm working on right now is called um, development model X.0. X.0 because it, it's a way to show that we are moving. We were always talking of version 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, industry 4.0, for example, in the moment, and so on. X.0 is, is to indicate a very long term. It is a model that should be resistant to the long term. And in this model, you have four main pillars. Two pillars are goals we have to reach, and two pillars are tools that you can use. The two first pillars are human, and nature. Humans are, it is a collective of, let's say, humanity, mankind. Right now, what you can see around you is most people who are working are not happy in their work. Most children going to school are not happy in schooling. What does it mean to develop a civilization that would not bring happiness to most people? So clearly there is something wicked in the civilization we are right now living in. And if you consider that at least two more billions of people will be born in the coming 25 years, well, you have to, to question even deeply this model of development. 
This is the reason why human is in the center of the model x.0. How to build, let's say civilization, because it is a larger way of speaking of a model of development, but how to, to build a civilization within which every human would feel happy is maybe a, a great word, but at least will feel comfortable, will feel at ease, will feel free, will feel responsible, will feel able to access the same things that all the others. The second pillar is nature. It is not possible today to build a civilization or even to sustain the current civilization without taking care of nature because we all need natural resources and we are coming to a shortage of the resources. As you know, in July now, we have consumed half of the planet's production, the early production. So it's not possible, we, we all understand it. But this is something we have to include in all our policies, whatever public or private. The two main goals, the two main pillars that are goals in the same time is to put simultaneously nature and, and humankind or even human person in the center of this model of development x.0. The two last pillars are tools. The first tool is exponentiality. Exponential, I mean, we all, we all talk about exponential organizations, exponent, exponential technologies, exponential well, whatsoever. What does it mean? It just means that once you embed technologies within a company, an organization or whatsoever, you have a, a new dynamics, or I would say not maybe not a new dynamics, but a new you have a change in the rhythm of the dynamics. It it would double or, or be quicker. I mean, it's it just something that okay. Let's use an example. I would say that in in 50 years ago, in one hour, you would do at least 10 times less things that you can do now, just because you have computers and you have smartphones and captors of everything and so on. So of course, our world is accelerating and it is accelerating because we have these technologies. So the question is how we can, we can think a little bit of a better use of these technologies, first to help human being to feel better and then to help nature to be better. Mm -hmm. So. This is the exponentiality, this is the part of exponentiality, and how maybe to, to reduce the rhythm of this exponentiality in order to, to let the maximum of people to cope with it. All this program obsolescence has to, to come to an end, obviously. I mean, it is, it is uh, resources consuming, and it is not useful. So we have to, to rationalize a little bit all, all this all this movement of exponentiality. The second tool is very different. The second tool is trend, emerging trend, giving way to the planetarization of our world. Uh, planetization, maybe. Planetization is about the fact that uh, suddenly you, you, see, you see the planet as one, not as a, a collection of states with borders and, um, and war, but as one entity 
not like Gaia, but really like um, the world is my playground. The world is my residency. The world is where is something belonging to me as a human being. So I want to have the right to go everywhere where I can to work, I can to study, I can um, I get married, I can do whatever I want. But I shall have the right to, to go wherever I want because this is my country. And when you ask uh, children, I mean, I, I just the last weekend I, I was with, with children for a kind of informal class of foresight and um, they were around 13 and 14 and already they had this incredible feeling very, very deeply anchored that they were citizens of the world. Yeah. Planetization is about the fact that you, are, you have a multi-scaled vision of the planet, which means that the territory, as, as small here it is, is still part of the planet. That we used to think globally and, as we used to say, act locally. But this time, we will have to think globally and sometimes act globally or act locally. But we will have to do it according to the kind of issue we are facing. Yeah, it's interesting when you talk about the notion of some sort of level of organisation at the level of the planet, then we also have to talk about what is the form of representation and governance and franchise that everybody on the planet can have a say. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. We are really, that's why I was talking about the civilization. I, I know that this word is not very, um, very appreciated, but I think that this is the very, very foundations of such a civilization that we have to rebuild. Question for Fabienne is the one where I ask the guest to explain how do you explain what you do and the way you do it and why you do it for people who don't necessarily understand what it is you do? Okay. Uh, well, usually, you know, Peter, I begin with a joke because when you tell people perspective, um, they will begin to think prospection. Prospection in French is about marketing. It is about commercial things. So they are a little bit, you know, dubious looking <laughs> at you and say, oh, are you trying to sell me something? And so I say, no, 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 no. Prospective, so foresight, is, um, is about saving the world. So, yeah, they look at me <laughs> with huge eyes. And then I begin to laugh. So they laugh. And, okay, that's good. And so I can tell, no, okay, it's very simple. It's not totally wrong, but it's not totally true because I cannot save the world every morning. But still, that's what I'm doing, which is try to spot the, the main issues we will have to face in the future and help people to find the best solution for them to solve those issues. That's my job. Saving the world. Uh, well, saving the world, uh, not every day, but, <laughs> but, but trying, to, uh, trying to, ma to make the world, I mean, helping the decision makers. Uh, yeah. Seriously, it's about helping decision makers to 
to take into consideration the context, as uh, Joe Boros would say, the context, uh, the, the depth, as Sohai would say, and through this deeper understanding of the past, the present, and what the future might be, help them to take the best decision, yeah. to make the best decision. It's exactly that. I mean, you know, when, when, when a client comes to me, it's because, frankly, he has tried everything before. We are like a, a firefighter, I mean, as a, as a futurist. That's right. If in doubt, if in doubt, break glass are those signs we used to have in the buildings. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, before they went to very different sort of consultants. Yeah. And finally, they don't know where they have to turn themselves to in order to, to get an help. And then suddenly they remember, oh, there is something called the futurist. I never tried this. Okay, let's try. Yeah. And so we are really like a firefighter. Yeah. So they begin, say, what can you do for me? I say, no, I, I don't know what I can do for you. Just tell me what you need. And I will tell you if I can do something for you or not. And then uh, they have the feeling to, that someone is listening to them, which is really important. Again, it, it, it has something to do with our job is not only a job of uh, data analysis, it is not only a job of trying to knit together different, uh, different trends and, and descriptions and so on. It's, it's mainly a job of listening to the real needs of people. Whatever the people be, I mean, the head of a of big company, a civil servant in the public administration, or a student, it is exactly the same. Our job is to help them to embed the future in all their decisions, their, their structural decisions. Question five, last question. And I'm going to ask you, what is your current mission? Hmm. Well, I have two current missions. I just finished a mission. You remember I told you about the Royal Institute for Strategic Studies yep. in Morocco. And I just finished a mission about um, developing the, the famous uh, model of the, the development model X.0 for Morocco. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the, public, the, the book will be, uh, the report will be uh, published uh, normally at the end of this month. And I'm preparing the next report which is about the future of ocean. Mm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so this is, uh, this is my current research. My, my main mission right now, I mean, the one that is really uh, picking a lot uh, for me is uh, with UNESCO, because UNESCO has developed a very important project about imagining Africa futures. Yep. And so um, we, we, they selected a, a center uh, which is a, a very new university called Mohammed VI in Benguerre, near Marrakech. And, and this university, which is a private one, uh, is willing to develop a foresight program. Excellent. So, yeah, so we just designed a doctoral program. It will be taught for the first 
PhDs, I would say, it, it will be taught by Philippe Durance from, uh, from uh, the Conservatoire National des Arts et Métiers in Paris. So students will, will have a pre-doctoral year in Morocco, in this university, and then they will go to France for three years to get their PhD. Then they will come back, they will be hired by the university, and they will become postdoctoral uh, assistants. And, and then they will, uh, they will begin to form the next uh, generation of PhDs and so on and so on. So we have, we have designed a process that will, they will let the uh, PhD program uh, become national, well, African mainly, but, and, and that will last, uh, I think, a very long time. Uh, the, the first four students that will, they will benefit from this um, PhD program will be two Moroccan students and two sub-science students. One uh, man, one woman in Morocco, one man, one woman in sub-science. Yep. So we wanted to have a real priority and, uh, and an access to, to, this, uh, to this PhD program. And, and then... Uh, we decided to develop foresight in all the university programs. So I just finished to build uh, uh, models, classes, if you prefer, in, in foresight for master, uh, bachelor, and, and undergraduate. And I finished uh, the syllabus at the syllabi for programs in executive education, in territorial foresight, corporate foresight, and um, uh, foresight and innovation and foresight and um, horizon scanning. Wow. Yeah, it's impressive because really it, it will begin in September. So it, you imagine that uh, it, it took a lot of my time recently and uh, it will begin in September. We will have the first uh, executive education certificate in November and uh, the predoctoral year will begin late September. So wow. that's it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a wonderful program. All right. I'm going to wrap this up now. So thank you so much for taking time out from your busy missions to spend a bit of time <laughs> with the FuturePod community. I really do appreciate it. It's been lovely to hear from you. Thank you very much, Peter, because, I mean, this, this initiative is a great initiative and, and really... Um, I um, I promote it as well as I can because I think it, it's really, really good to do this. And thank you, you, for taking on your time for, for doing this. Thank you very much. This has been another production from FuturePod. FuturePod is a not-for-profit venture. We exist through the generosity of our supporters. If you would like to support FuturePod, go to the Patreon link on our website. Thank you for listening. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. This is Peter Hayward saying goodbye for now.